Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and currently of Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. Today, we'll be joined by three members of the SIS R&D department. These are our data scientists and content creators here at Sports Info Solutions, and they'll be on to discuss their research on three of the five first-round quarterbacks in 2018 and what to expect from them in 2019. So let's start right off. After Baker Mayfield came off the board with the number one pick, the next quarterback to come off the board was Sam Darnold, and we'll bring in Mark Simon to talk about it. He did some research on Sam Darnold. Um, And the main findings that he came across were um, the deep ball. So Sam Darnold was 34th out of 35 qualifying quarterbacks in completion percentage on deep balls, but 10th in on-target percentage. That was the largest difference in the league. And Adam Gase liked to go deep last year in Miami. Another finding from the article is that Sam Darnold struggled under pressure and outside the pocket. So we know that's less stable than those non-pressure numbers. We'll see how that progresses into year two. And then the other big thing that Mark brought up were the new running backs, Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery, weapons there that they didn't have last year should make life easier for Sam Darnold. And by the way, Adam Gase likes running back passing too. Mark. Thanks for coming on. Uh, What did you find most interesting as you got into this research on Sam Darnold? Well, I think that those of us that watch the Jets, whether it be a little bit or a lot, kind of got lulled into a false sense of security from the way that things went after, was it the first pass? After literally the first pass was intercepted. After he threw the pick six, he looked like a, a settled NFL quarterback. He looked like a veteran. He had a very strong game against the Lions that day. You figured that that would carry over, but that's not what that was. That was essentially a moment for him. And there were other moments. There was the Packers game uh, later in the season. There were, there were other wins. There was the win over the Colts. He had moments. He had good things. You hear now Adam Keefe talk about him and speak glowingly, but what he's talking about are individual moments as opposed to a quarterback who needs to try and put it all together. So what you're seeing is a lack of consistency. This is somebody with all the tools. You saw it in spurts throughout the year, but when you put it all together, uh, the the full picture. Yeah, and we get spoiled by rookies. We think now that in in this day and age in which the young player is dominating in every sport, we think that someone like Darnold is going to come in and he's going to be great right off the bat. He needs time. This isn't something that that is just going to come together for him immediately. He needs time to... uh, learn the NFL. He needs time to learn defenses and he needs personnel like the personnel he has this year as opposed to last year that can help him win. Makes sense. I think he was young even for a rookie last year, if my memory serves. Aaron, what were your big takeaways from this article? I think it's really interesting that Gase's Dolphins threw deep so much because they also threw short a lot. It seems like Gase's offense doesn't have enough medium throws. Because one of the things we found in the research for Football Outsiders Almanac was just how much Gase's quarterbacks have been among the league leaders in what we call failed completions, right? Those are completed passes that fail to get enough yards to be considered a successful play. And Ryan Tannehill was 32nd among qualifying quarterbacks last year in what percent of his uh, completions were failed completions. Uh, Jay Cutler the year before was 25th, and Tannehill the year before was 31st. And Gase himself has actually talked about a preference for throwing short of the sticks on second and long and third and long, and talked about how if they play off, if defenses play off, we have to take things underneath. The problem is if you take things too underneath, you're never going to get a first down. 
But it's interesting that he throws. He likes to throw deep so much, given that he likes to throw short so much. That what they're missing are those passes that are like two or three yards past the sticks. Yeah, I think it's really interesting talking about those where those passes land in front of the sticks, beyond the sticks. I know uh, my best friend Zach Fearman, who I, I played football with growing up. He was a guard. He loves running and pounding it down someone's throat as much as anybody. Uh, but even he, as w- watching the Dolphins games last year, would constantly be telling me he's he's got to stop with this running stuff or these short passes in these second and long, third and long situations. I know that was something that he complained about, and I, I wonder if that'll continue into this year. Um, one thing that that we're planning some research on that. That I'm actually hoping we can we can get to relatively soon is looking at throwing beyond the sticks versus short of the sticks, kind of that same concept as these failed completions that you're talking about, and getting a sense in, in different situations when it makes when it's optimal uh, to sh- throw short versus throw past the sticks. I don't think Adam Gase is stupid. I don't think he's doing this stuff for no reason. But I, I'd like to take a deeper look behind those numbers and see what's really optimal in the NFL these days. The, the Dolphins were 31st in DVOA on second and long and 28th on third and long. The year before, they were dead last in second and long and 26th in third and long. One thing that you learned if you watched Darnold last year was that he has very happy feet. Like he steps back in the pocket and he's kind of like top, 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 trying to figure out what to do and do it quick. And this might be a situation where because of the way that Gase likes to coach, maybe he's throwing short a lot. Maybe he's looking for those outlets. Uh, that Maybe that isn't necessarily the best for his, his development growth. We will have to see. Um, thank you, Mark, for coming on. Mark is on Twitter, at Mark A. Simon says he's a great follow, mostly baseball stuff, but he will be doing more and more football content as we get into the NFL season. You can check him out on the SIS Baseball Podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the SIS Baseball Podcast, available every two weeks at your favorite app. Our show looks to make analytics interesting and fun. On each episode, we're joined by guests, including Giants outfielder Kevin Pillar and Yankees broadcaster David Cohn. That's the SIS Baseball Podcast. Be sure to check it out. Up next, Nate Weller did a great piece on Josh Allen. He found that just like we knew about Josh Allen coming out of college, he had bad accuracy last year but was a good runner. He was much better on scripted plays, the first 15 plays of the game, than on plays after that throughout the game, and he really struggled versus man coverage. There was a great graphic in the article that showed how much Kelvin Benjamin was an outlier for his inability to separate, but the Bills have remade their receivers this offseason, and there is reasons for optimism based on Nate's research. Nate, what did you find most interesting as you were researching Josh Allen? So as you mentioned, the scripted plays uh, was probably the most interesting. Uh, That came about because Brian Dable last year really just had an impossible task. He was game planning for, it seemed like a different quarterback every week between Anderson, Barkley, and then everyone remembers the Peterman experiment beginning of last year. And then not to mention that Allen was actually taking reps mostly with the twos and threes in training camp and really never had a time to get acquainted with Dable. Um, And so one thing we decided to look at was essentially what Dable was able to install week to week. And we kind of used the first 15 as a proxy for that. Uh, And Allen uh, and his first 15 EPA per attempt was 0.12 compared to negative 0.06. The rest of the game, his IQR was 90 as compared to 71.9. And there's, there's a lot of interesting things that go with that too. Obviously those are pretty alarming jumps, uh, but his a dot was actually about three yards lower uh, which indicates to us that there was a lot more screens, uh, schemed short passes, and more creative play calling involved, which I think is a good sign for them moving forward. So you're saying that that basically 
um, it was it was that during those first 15, they were able to scheme out shorter passes. And that's when he seemed to perform above average as opposed to below average in the other situations. Yeah, definitely. Um, overall, the Bills didn't seem to use a lot of screens last year, which is something I think they were moving forward. Uh, but it really seemed like I, I can remember some like jet sweep passes and more creative ways to get McCoy the ball and things last year that really seemed to help him out. And screens can be a tough thing to put in, especially for a young quarterback. There's a lot of feel and timing that goes into that. Aaron, what were your main takeaways from the article? It said a lot that we know already about Allen. It was interesting. The idea that he throws deeper later in the game when perhaps things are less planned was sort of interesting because he had the highest average depth of target in the league last year. This is an interesting thing that we found when we were writing the Buffalo chapter of the of Football Outsiders Almanac. So his average depth of target was 11 air yards per pass, but his average completion was caught only six and a half yards down the field. And that uh, difference, which is 4.6 yards, thanks to rounding, was not just the largest in the league, it was the largest in the league by a yard and a half. So like the short passes definitely worked better than the deep passes, even though he's you know renowned for his deep arm. So here we are, a bunch of analysts telling teams they need to run less and throw deeper down the field. But if you have Josh Allen, maybe you should run more and throw shorter. Well, run more with Josh Allen. Run more with Josh Allen is a little different than the idea that they should run more with uh, the corpse of LaShawn McCoy. Fair enough, fair enough. You, you caught me on that one. Um, the biggest thing when I talked to Nate about this one that, that I thought was interesting was really the man's own thing. So I kind of told him that there's an old truism that says, uh, the quarterback's responsible for beating zone, whereas the receivers are responsible for beating man. So I was a little bit um, kind of encouraged by that sign in the splits for Josh Allen. And I think um, with with the man coverage and seeing what they've done, these are guys that came from Cam Newton, Buffalo. Josh Allen is a very similar prospect to Cam Newton as a football player. And I think um, really what they've done is remade their receivers sort of in the image of the way that that the Panthers did that. I mean, like from the very specific, they took Kelvin Benjamin and then moved on to, from Kelvin Benjamin. But in general, going from we have a quarterback with maybe questionable accuracy, let's get a lot of big targets to let's find guys that can separate. Yeah, so one thing we use to look at that is what we call yards after catch before contact, which pretty much just looks at how many yards a receiver was able to gain after the catch before a defender was able to get a hand on him. Uh, the Bills as a team last year were actually 26 in that metric against man coverage, which indicates that Allen was throwing into a lot of really tight windows. And then, as you mentioned, Kelvin Benjamin was dead last. He got 0.1 yards uh, before contact per catch last year or per target, which was just far and away the worst. And so Allen, was, who's notably inaccurate, was also throwing into these tight windows. And uh, despite what they thought, they weren't able to you know cover that up with large catch radiuses. So they're, we're starting to see that shift. Um, and I know Cole Beasley was talking about it in camp that being able to get separation as a wide receiver just kind of widens the margin of error for quarterbacks. Where if you're throwing into a three-yard window, you can miss by a little bit and get away with it, which should be a good sign for the Bills. Yeah, there's a reason why uh, Jimmy Graham and Marcus Colston succeeded with Drew Brees better than they have in other places. Nate, thank you for coming on. The research was awesome. And everybody, um, you should check out his Twitter, at Nate Weller. That's N-A-T-E-W-E-L-L-E-R-R. You can check out those awesome graphics that I was talking about. And he also wrote a great article about quarterbacks targeting injury replacement corners. So check him out, at Nate Weller. Thanks, Nate. Yep, thanks for having me. We'll take a quick break to learn about the Football Outsiders Almanac, and then we'll come back in with Alex Vigderman for an analysis of Josh Rosen. Hey, this is Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, and I want to tell you about Football Outsiders Almanac 2019, celebrated as the best annual guide to the football season. 
featuring the most accurate NFL team projections, more than 500 fantasy football player projections with our Kubiak Fantasy Football preseason projection system, and expanded college football projections for the top 50 FBS teams and all 130 teams in FBS. This is our book that you know and love from every year, the most authoritative and innovative guide to professional football around with cutting edge statistical analysis, obsessive film study, trademark humor, tons of stats from our friends at Sports Info Solutions, like which teams blitz most often, which defensive backs have the best coverage, which wide receivers play most often in the slot versus wide and how they perform, and which receivers go longest on both complete and incomplete passes. All this stuff is broken down for you, week by week stats from last season, five-year performance trends, analysis of off-season personnel changes, and probabilities on each team's chance to be a Super Bowl contender or a contender for the top pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. You can get Football Outsiders Almanac 2019 on our site, footballoutsiders.com. You can read a sample chapter about the Denver Broncos. You can buy the book in PDF form for $20, or you can go to amazon.com and get a paperback with over 500 pages of previews for $28.95. Football Outsiders Almanac 2019, the best annual guide to the NFL and college football seasons. The Josh Rosen trade to Miami, before that even happened, that was one that we had highlighted as an interesting move of the offseason. Who was going to get Josh Rosen? And Alex Vigderman wrote a really great piece breaking down Josh Rosen that just came out yesterday on Sharp Football Analysis. Um, Some of the main findings from the article, um, we all know Josh Rosen was under constant pressure last year, and it was exacerbated by performing poorly under pressure. He struggled to throw to the outside, but this was actually a strength in college. So something interesting there to look for moving forward. And uh, my favorite point in the article was uh, another complete uh, great graphic was that like most, he was much better on play action passes than not. But with Rosen in particular, he had the third biggest difference in the league. Alex, thanks for coming on. What did you find most interesting when researching Josh Rosen? Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on. For Going back to your comment about play action, so there's this league-wide trend, unsurprisingly, that play action is more efficient than a straight drop back, and that sort of holds true across different throw depths, but actually when you get to the deepest throw depths beyond 20 yards, the difference is even greater. So, And, and most of that comes from performance, essentially, where you're, you're getting play action and you're not pressured. So you get that nice, clean throw, you get to throw it downfield, and, and that's where the real big plays come from. For Rosen it sort of gets flipped on its head. So he did okay in those short throws, but then when you're not using play action, he dropped off a cliff. And most of that was because he was handling pressure pretty poorly. So it was so, a big drop off there. So that makes sense. So basically with when he didn't have play action, the pressure got, got to him more and his performance really, really dropped off there on those straight dropbacks. Yeah, and particularly on those deeper throws. And so if, if you're able to, you know, that's where the boomer bust aspect comes into play. If you're getting those deeper throws, you do get a little bit more risk from a pressure perspective. But he was actually with play action able to take advantage of that a little bit more. Right. Aaron, uh, what were your takeaways from this article? Well, the first thing I'd, I, I, I'd say is um, I, I think the most remarkable thing about Rosen is the way that he's fallen into the same, uh, the same situation that he already had. <laughs> In other words, that he's gone to a Miami team where the receivers should be a little bit better, but they're, they're nobody, it's nobody's idea of a great receiving core, right? I mean, uh, if Albert Wilson is healthy, he's got great yak ability, but Devontae Parker has always disappointed people. And, you know, Kenny Stills is good, but he's not great. 
uh, their offensive line is a trouble. And they were 31st in adjusted sack rate last year. So, like, it was one of the offensive lines that might, you know, theoretically be worse than the one he had in Arizona. So he basically went, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. The other thing about Rosen is just how bad he was historically. I mean, that's one of the places where football outsiders numbers can contribute is because we have play-by-play going all the way back to 1986. We have a, a much larger picture for historical uh, looking at the sort of historical picture. And uh, he had the worst single season value of any quarterback by passing DYAR or defense adjusted yards above replacement. He had the worst single season we've ever measured going back to 1986. Because when you look at the offensive level of the league right now, and then you look at how bad he was compared to an average quarterback, it was horrific. So you know, you, you want to believe that he can improve in the second season because even Jared Goff was one of the worst quarterbacks we'd ever measured. Alex Smith was one of the worst quarterbacks we'd ever measured. Those guys eventually got their careers together. But, it might not be the best predictor, right? Yeah, it's, your rookie year may not be the best predictor. Now, that being said, I mean, you know, we know why Jared Goff got his career together, and I don't think that in Miami he's suddenly being paired with, you know, I don't know if Chad O'Shea is considered one of the great young geniuses of the league. And Alex Smith, it took him a few years to get to the Alex Smith level of being good, not great. But uh, he's in the same situation he was stuck in last year. He's got the offensive line issues. He's got issues around him. Uh, Already with the running game, Kenyon Drake is is injured now. So he's not in a great place to succeed. Yeah. So going back to that situation that he's been in, you know, it's more of the same from college. He went through all these different offensive coordinators. I think it was like five different offensive coordinators he had. Um, I don't even know how that works. Um, But with him, I think it's that situation that you talk about. And Alex brought it up in the article, how he might have found the one worst offensive line in the league to get behind. I think that's part of the reason why it's, it's been surprising to me that they've kind of been saying, you know, Fitz is our guy. They want Fitz to be the number one. Why would you want that? Right. You don't want to win extra games there. You want to find out what you have with Rosen. If he's good, great. It's gravy. We got a a good quarterback on the cheap. If he's not good, you find out this year. It might just be that the coaches there, Brian Flores and company, think that it's such a bad situation, you know, changing the offensive line coach four days into training camp, that sort of thing. They just don't want to put him behind that again. He's already been David Card enough. (laughs) You don't want to do that anymore to him, that, that, that old Joey Harrington treatment. Yeah, he definitely reminds me in, in so, uh, you know, Aaron mentioned Alex Smith. It's the same kind of, you know, it's this, this rotating cast of characters in the coaching staff. And then you have the poor offensive line that reminds you of David Carr. It, it's, it's not a good combination of players to remind you of uh, in terms of the situation. And, and even within last year, it sort of got worse over time. Uh, I say in the article that when they switched offensive coordinators, Byron Leftwich was using fewer short drops he was getting more pressure from blown blocks by the offensive line. And even though he might have been able to handle that a little bit better on a play-by-play basis, if you're just getting that extra pressure more and more often and you're not getting those shorter, quick throws, then you're just going to be in a tough spot. I know that might tie into, I saw you were going back and forth a little bit with Ben Baldwin on Twitter, the accumulation of quarterback hits. What ended up coming out of, out of that little line of research? Yeah, so this was this was one of those random Twitter conversations. Uh, essentially, I don't remember where the, the conversation originally started, but it, it was a discussion about the extent to which getting hit more will make you perform worse over the course of the game. I had done an initial analysis that just showed in a a quick way, yes, in fact, you do get a a slight degradation of performance as you get hit more in the game. But then Ben spent a couple days looking at it and he came back out and said basically that if you 
correct for the fact that a that you know a quarterback is going to get hit 15 times in the game. Now that you know that you're talking about that game, then, well, yeah, that guy is actually just as bad over the course of the entire game. It's just that once you know that he's going to get hit 15 times in the game, over the course of the entire game, he's just going to be in a bad spot. So we're back to the chicken and the egg. Exactly. Very interesting stuff. Thank you for coming on, Alex. Uh, certainly an interesting article. Um, and you can read more by following him at Big Man on Campus. That's V-I-G Man on Campus. You can find all of these articles by following Sports Info Solutions on Twitter at SportsInfo underscore SIS. And please help us to spread the word about the Off the Charts Football Podcast by recommending us to your football-loving friends. Please write us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what you want more of. For my co-host Aaron Schatz and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Podcast.